This is the very first time I have spoken in a church building with real people for 18 months. I'm scared to take off my mask. <laughs> this is so cool. I, uh, I've been looking forward to this both nervously and excited. And uh, so here goes. Help me, help me with this. This is very emotional. Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> wow. It's so good to be with you today. For, for that reason, because it's, it's a milestone for me. You know, during this past 18 months, I've been speaking on Zoom so many times that I thought that was real life. Like last week, I did a, an hour-long teaching to about 250 church leaders in 25 countries around the world. And uh, I've been doing all sorts of speaking and teaching on Zoom. And uh, every time I finish up, there's like, that was okay, but that's, surely that's not going to be life forever. So thank you for today. Thank you for reassuring me that's not going to be life forever. It's good to be in a place that uh, people love the Lord. You know, this beautiful Sunday morning that you've come out. You know, I don't know what I'd do if I lived here with those lakes and everything. <laughs> uh, it's just wonderful to be with you. Thank you for being friendly. Great coffee shop. And thank you for the many of you that are partners with Compassion. Many of you have, have uh, connected with me in the foyer or in the coffee shop, and you're sponsoring children with Compassion. Thank you for that. I feel, really feel, I texted my wife this morning and I said, I feel like I'm home. I feel like I'm among family. And that's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. Now, when I look down on you, it looks like this family's feuding because you're not sitting very close together. This group isn't talking to that group, but I understand that's the way it has to be. My, uh, my colleague Bosco is with me back there. Ooh, that's the guy with the mask on. Oh, another guy with the mask on. Uh, Bosco and I worked together at Compassion. We met years ago. He's now part of our Compassion team. He came on and I went off. Uh, into uh, what, they, what they call retirement. But uh, we're, we love working together and we love sharing. He's also a very gifted speaker, and I hope you get to hear him at some point in time. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to commit this time to you. Thank you for, uh, for allowing us, even in the midst of this chaotic world, for allowing us to be together, both here physically and those that are online. Thank you for the fact that you are a spirit, and so you transcend boundaries like walls. You're with us wherever we are. 
And uh, we just want to invite you now to speak to us. Well, we didn't come together here to hear me talking. We, came, we come together here today to hear your voice. And so, Lord, give us those spiritual ears to hear what you have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I thought about this morning, uh, most of the preaching I do is on theological stuff, right? That, I mean, that, that's my background. I'm, I'm a quasi-theologian. I've, I've written a book on, on theology of poverty. And usually wherever I go, I try to take people deep into theology. But for some reason today, I couldn't, I, as, I, as, I, as I met with the Lord, I just felt impressed. You know, these people probably have a pretty good understanding of theology. You probably, uh, I know your pastor is an amazing teacher, and many of you have been Christians for a long time. You've studied the Bible. You've got a good understanding of the Bible. So I'm going to take a completely different turn, which is maybe a complete flop. But I'm going to go more the practical route today rather than the theological route. If, you're, if, if you like theology, then I'm going to give you one of my books after. You can, you can go that route if you want and, and, and study the Greek and the Hebrew and all that. But today, I just want a talk very practical, very common sense about missions and about poverty. And when I struggled to find a really catchy title for my sermon today, I kept coming up blank. So I just called it Compassion 101, a practical approach to helping the poor. You don't need another sermon. You don't need another sales pitch. You don't need all of that. You know your Bibles. If you're suffering from anything, it's probably not theology overload. If you're suffering from anything, it's probably compassion fatigue. You've, you've heard so many appeals to help the poor. You've seen so many commercials on TV or programs. You've, you've read it so often. If anything today, we are suffering from compassion fatigue. We've just been overloaded with the needs. We just had a bad earthquake in Haiti a few days ago, a few weeks ago. We've got Afghanistan. We've got situations all around the world that are calling for us to be compassionate, to be caring, to be loving, to be generous. And after a while, it just seems like it's a noise in the background. And that's called compassion fatigue. Then we have the scripture. The scripture that's been quoted at me, well, you would have no idea how many times in the last 38 years people have quoted Jesus to me, but not as an understanding of, of the Bible, of theology, but as an excuse not to help the poor. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 11, the poor, you know it, don't you? The poor will always be with you. Yeah. So when I talk about poverty at conferences or in churches, 
people use that and go, why do you bother? We're always, no matter how much we do, we're always going to have poor people with us. Jesus even said it. So, so just, just stop talking like that. But Jesus didn't mean that we cannot overcome poverty. That's not what that statement means in Matthew 26. He did not mean also that it's useless. It's useless for us to use our energy and our resources to help the poor. What Jesus did mean is that because of the apathy of human nature and because of the corruption of worldly leadership and worldly leadership systems, poverty will always be with us. That's what he meant. It's not an excuse. It's not to say, don't even bother, you can't fix this. He said, the reason it's always going to be there in every generation is because human beings don't care enough and they don't deal with it enough. You see, Jesus is saying poverty will always exist because poverty is man-made. It's not natural. Think about that. Poverty is man-made. So, Why don't more people then, why don't more Christians help the poor? It's not because they don't care. I I have traveled the world. I have spoken in thousands of churches. I have met hundreds of thousands of Christians. And by and large, I am moved by how much they care about the poor. So the question is, why don't more people help the poor? Why don't more people address this question that Jesus did? I think it's boiled down to two reasons. In all of my years, which now are getting many, (laughs) in all of my years, I think I can boil it down to two things. Why don't more people help the poor? The first is, they don't know what to do. We just don't know what to do to be effective in helping the poor. And the second second reason is we don't know who to trust. I see a lot of heads nodding. We don't know who to trust. So the first one is we don't know what to do speaks to the word strategy. We don't know what is the best plan to get behind to put our resources into. There's there's so many ways of helping the poor, but some of them just don't show any return on investment. What strategy works the best? And then who can we trust? So let's tackle the second one first. Let's tackle the integrity question first. Who do we trust? What's their track record? The word integrity simply means doing what you say you do. You know people like that. You know people that don't practice integrity, don't you? We're in the middle of an election, and I can't resist the temptation to ask this simple question. When somebody knocks on my door and asks me for my vote, 
I want to ask them, can I trust you? Can I trust you to fulfill all these promises that we seem to get thrown at us every four years or two years? I'm going to be careful here. This might be being taped. (laughs) I want to ask them, you remember last election when you gave all these promises? So how many of those have you kept? How important is your word? Because these questions that I pose all deal with integrity. Are you a person of your word? Do you do what you promise you will do? So there's personal integrity, and then there's organizational integrity. Your church. Your church either has or has not organizational integrity. Does your church do, in this community, what you say you will do? Are you the church, the people, are you what you say you are? And so integrity is really important. Matthew 7, 16, Jesus states that we'll be able to discern who we can trust by their behavior and their work. You don't need to know somebody for very long before you figure out whether you trust them or not. You see, in this context, in Matthew 7's context, Jesus calls us to be fruit inspectors. Do you know what God's favorite fruit is? Anybody know? I, in all my deep theological research... I found that back in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't an apple that that Eve ate. It was a mango. (laughs) Think about it. And do you know I can prove it? Because who in their right mind would give up everything for an apple? But a mango? Boy, that's the temptation I couldn't resist. Anyways, you take it for what it's worth. But Jesus calls us to be fruit inspectors. My next door neighbor's Italian, he's got these fruit trees, and at night it's very tempting to reach over the fence. I don't have to, fortunately, because he gives them to me in the daylight. But some of the, some of the peaches he gives me aren't that good. I thank him, but some of them go directly from his hand to the garbage. Because they're just, the bugs have been gotten into them, they're just not good. But some are really good. So we inspect them. So Jesus calls us to inspect the fruit, the behaviors, the actions of people and organizations and ministries. He, he instructs us to be critics without being critical. There's a big difference. He instructs us to be judges without being judgmental. So Jesus is saying, take a look at people, take a look at organizations, and come to a 
an educated conclusion by watching how they live, how they do their work, and discern whether or not they are trustworthy, whether they have integrity. I've spent the last 38 years of my life working with the global poor. I've, I've worked in 61 countries, and you could say I've seen it all. And that would not be an understatement. I've seen the good, the really good, and I've seen the ugly bad. And yes, I've got enough experience that I could write a book, but the book would probably be as thick as this crate. Whew, man, don't get me. Don't, don't ask me to tell you stories because I'll keep you up very late at night. I've met people and I've met organizations that I would trust with my tap debit card. Right? Don't even need a pin. Here it is. That's how much I trust those people and some of those organizations. There are other people and other organizations I wouldn't even give them my email address or accept them as a friend on social media. The massive earthquake in Haiti 11 years ago, and some of you know I was there. I was right in the epicenter of the earthquake when it struck. I lost very close friends in that tragedy. That was probably the most large-scale test of integrity in modern times for mission organizations and NGOs. Billions of dollars were distributed, enough to pretty well rebuild the entire country. But try as you may 11 years later to account for that money and you will be sorely disappointed. You will be frustrated. I've seen mission organizations and NGOs use photographs of children in poverty in order to raise money, when in reality they don't even have a bona fide ministry to children. We all know children raise money. Poor children raise lots of money. So what about compassion? How can you trust compassion? Those of you that are current sponsors, those of you that may be thinking about becoming a sponsor. It might shock you, but that's exactly the right question to ask. Hmm? Yep, I know. I used to be the CEO for 26 years, and I would tell people everywhere I went, don't take my word for it. Do your research. Ask the question, how do I know I can trust you, your organization, your ministry? In a day of fake news and manipulated media, we have every right. No, no, let me re restate that. It's not that we have every right. We have the obligation to make sure that there is integrity in every investment that we make. We are to be responsible givers. In fact, I like to look at it like we are investors in the kingdom of God. Compassion's coming up to 70 years in its anniversary. 
Nearly 3 million children have gone through our program. There's currently over 2 million children in our program. Over 8,000 local churches partner with Compassion around the world in 25 countries. And I could take you, I could show you on the screen excerpts from all kinds of, of watchdog organizations that, that track charities like ours. And I could show you Money Sense, how they rate Compassion High, how um, Charity Watchdog and Charity Intelligence and even McLean's Magazine all give Compassion high marks. But here's some of the proof you may not be aware of. Before the pandemic, so up until a year and a half or so ago, on a typical average year, we would have some 9,000 sponsors from around the world visit their sponsored children. 9,000, typical year. Some years more than that. Every sponsor gets a chance to meet their child when they go. They get to go to the child's home, they get to go to the child's school, they get to go to the Compassion Project, the local church, they get to open the file cabinet, take out the child's files, they get to look at all, all the documentation about that child's progress, the health records, they get to look at the financial records of that church project. I like to think of it as nine thousand mini audits every year. I can tell you there's no other organization that does that many mini audits every year. And every one of these 9,000 sponsors who come back to their countries, every one of them says the same thing. I don't know how you do so much with the little bit of money that I send you each month. Every dollar in Compassion's ministry is accounted for. You see, every dollar is treated like a sacred trust. It's not our money. And, and I've said this over and over again to our staff, to our field staff out in the countries, to the project-level people. This is not our money. If it was our money, then yeah, I could bend that rule. I could say, yeah, no, instead of spending it there, put it there. But it's not our money. This money has been entrusted to us by people in Canada and America and UK and Australia, and we have to treat it like a sacred trust. So do your homework. Give intelligently. That's what integrity is all about. But now, let's look at the second question, the second word, strategy. Strategy is very, very key because integrity without strategy is actually poor stewardship. Think about that for a minute. Integrity, you can give to a, a group that you trust. That's integrity. But if that group doesn't have a good strategy how to accomplish their mission then that is really poor stewardship on your part. Don't just fill their coffers with money, but ensure that that money is being used in a good way to, to reap 
the most, the most important benefits, we call it a return on investment. The biblical concept, concept of stewardship, and uh, Luke 12 is, is really good about that, you can read it. The biblical concept of stewardship is that you are managing as a steward something that doesn't belong to you. And so compassion's role as using your sponsorship dollars as a sacred trust, that's good stewardship. That's saying we don't own that. We are managing that on your behalf. Strategy means having a well-tested plan along with the ability to execute that plan, to see it completed. Strategies far more than just having a vision or a mission. How many of us, myself included, how many of us over the years have heard someone talk, they've told a great story, they might have even preached a great sermon, and we dug so deep in our wallets, we were just moved to put that extra money in, only to find out a few years later, they had great vision. Whoa, they had great ideas, but they couldn't figure out how to make those ideas work. And our money that we invested in that didn't produce a return on investment. Strategy is far more than having vision or mission. It starts with a mission, but a mission without strategy is just wishful thinking. So for compassion, the mission is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. You current sponsors, you know that. You see that all over our material and our websites. Our passion, our mission, is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. But that's not enough. We need to know what is the strategy Do you have a plan? Can you actually produce that in real time? So, we then look at the strategy of Compassion's mission. Our strategy is holistic child development. Our strategy is one-on-one discipleship of children. Our strategy is reaching the child's and their family for Christ. I don't know if you know this or not, but every single day of the year in the compassion world, at least 400 children accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Our research tells us that for every child that accepts Christ, in time, at least four family members accept Christ. You don't need a calculator to figure out that's about 2,000 people a day finding Christ. That's pretty good return on investment. Our strategy is to partner with the local church, the only entity that Jesus Christ created to bring good news of the gospel to the world. Our strategy is to empower and equip the local church to become the hands and feet of Jesus. And our strategy 
has been paying off big time over these last 70 years. Many, many organizations, many good organizations involved in relief and development, they feature photographs of children in their marketing materials. But very few of them design their programs with the child in the center. Compassion's holistic programs start early. Do you know what age you have to be to be a compassion child? Zero. In fact, we have some in our program who aren't yet born because we minister through the local church to expectant mothers. We start at birth. We start before birth. And we stay with that child through a very sophisticated, very well-planned, very strategic process to, to develop that child to become what God intended them to be as an adult. I want to show you a picture of, of one of the many, many compassion children that I know personally. I've followed Harriet's journey since she was a little girl. Harriet's from a little village in Uganda. I, I don't have time to tell you her backstory. I think it's in my book. Um, but her dad, like so often happens, abandoned the family. Her and her, her uh, two siblings and her mom lived lived in the worst poverty you could imagine. I mean, you would not put your family pet in their house to stay. It was that bad. She, being the oldest child, felt the responsibility to try and help her mother and her younger siblings. And as she was growing up, seven and eight years of age, she imagined that her fate would be like the fate of some other girls in her village, where they went to the city, to Campola, and they got a job working on the street. And they raised money and sent it back to their families. She thought that was her only option, prostitution. She didn't think she had any. And so her, in her mind, she decided that, well, when I'm old enough, so probably I, I can't go to the city and do that until I'm at least 12. So in her mind, she had given up already to that fate. But God didn't create her for that. He doesn't create any child for that. When she was in her eighth year, just before she turned nine, Compassion partnered with the local church in her poor little village. Because of her situation being so poor, she and her siblings were one of the first ones registered to become Compassion-sponsored children. Fast forward, this is her graduation. LDP stands for Leadership Development Program. That's our Compassion University program. She is now one of the leading lawyers in Kampala, Uganda, specializing in children's human rights. But that's not her great success. In her, in her time as part of our leadership development program, which is about a five-year program, during that time, 
her and the other 50 students in the Compassion Cohort, they led over 900 people to Christ. They used to go out in, on weekends in teams out to the villages and hold church services and rallies and preach the gospel. How many of us and our friends brought 900 people to Christ by the time we were 25? I didn't. During that time, they built, physically built two churches, and they physically built 50 homes for very, very poor families like her own. That's one person. That's the result of one strategy and one integrity put together. I could, I could write books. There's, I've given some other stories in my book here, but I could write books. I'm right now, I'm, I'm working with several graduates who are married with families and are serving God who came through Compassion's program. You see, Compassion's strategy can be summed up in three distinct words. i to make sure I hold up the right number of fingers here. <laughs> One time I did this, and the little girl's I can't do it with this hand because I lost the finger somewhere. So, uh, Three words. Here are the three words. If you're a sponsor, you already know these. Christ, child, and church. That's our strategy. Christ-centered. Everything we do at Compassion is about bringing Christ to children and their families. You see, we really aren't a sponsorship agency. <laughs> it's true. Sponsorship is just a marketing tool. It's a way you raise money. Sponsorship tells you nothing about what happens to that money. So we don't exist to do sponsorship. We exist to do child evangelism and discipleship. That's what we exist for. That's what we use the sponsorship money for, is to bring children and their families to Christ and then disciple them in the ways of Christ. Christ-centered, child-focused. We work individually. Every single child is known, loved, and protected in the Compassion Program. Every single sponsored child, all two million plus of them, have an adult mentor in the church that the project is in. They're not just a number. They're not just a recipient. They are individuals. And we are church-driven. You see, in reality, and you're hearing a lot of confessions this morning, in reality, compassion doesn't help children. We don't touch children. The local church we partner with does all of that. Our role is to facilitate that. Our role is to equip and resource over 8,000 local churches in poverty-stricken countries. Train them, teach them, equip them, resource them to minister hands-on to the children in their communities. And so Christ-centered, 
child-focused, church-driven, that sums up our strategy. And you see, here's another confession. Oh, I don't know what got into me today. It's just being the first time out. I have to tell you, I have to tell you all the truth. Compassion, our strategy, isn't unique, and it's not original. I've never said that before, honestly, in my entire life. But I'm convicted more than ever. Here's the reason. It's all in the Bible. Our strategy comes right out of the pages of Scripture. It comes right out of the New Testament. Oh, yes, we've adapted it, but we didn't invent it. Look at the life of Jesus. Christ-centered, child-focused, church-driven. That was Jesus' life here on earth. Our strategy is the same strategy Jesus employed when he was here on earth. You see, the church is God's plan A to reach the world. God does not, like Many of us have a plan B or a plan C. You know, we think in terms of, like in business, well, we've got to have a contingency plan. No, God doesn't have a contingency plan. If the church fails, he fails. No, that's not my decision. That was his. He created the church. It is his product. It's his invention. And for all these 2,000 plus years, it has not failed. You might hear about it failing, but I can tell you from my extensive world travels, the church has never been stronger. The church has never been more effective. And there's never been a time in history when so many people are finding Jesus Christ as their Savior. You don't hear that. Because all the other news stuff filters that out. But it's fact. It's true. That's why compassion aligns ourselves with the local church. If it's God's only strategy, it should be our only strategy. Governments and community organizations, NGOs, individual philanthropists, none of us can do and provide for children and families what the local church can in their culture. So, the most effective fight against poverty targets children. There's no greater mission field in the world than the hearts of our children. And that doesn't mean Africa. It doesn't mean Latin America or Asia. It means here in Halliburton. It means in your community, in my community. There is no greater mission field than the hearts of our children. Jesus taught that. Jesus practiced that. So that brings us to that third part of Compassion's three-word strategy, Christ. So we talked about the church. We talked about the importance of child. 
and the importance of Christ. Being Christ-centered is way more than just the tagline. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 does not say to go out into all the world and feed the hungry. The Great Commission says to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And we know, and if you want to read it in my book, we know that preaching the gospel includes feeding people. It includes health care. It includes all that. But the gospel message must be front and center. Poverty isn't defeated by wealth. Poverty is defeated by hope. And there's only one source of hope, and that is Jesus Christ. So now you know. You know the answer to those two questions that permeate our society. You know what compassion's doing, our strategy, and you know whether or not you can trust us. Integrity. Compassion is not compassion without action. Without doing something about the way you feel, it's just feeling sorry for someone. Jesus never lived that way. He never just felt sorry for someone and walked by. He always stopped and did something. That's what compassion's all about. So that brings me to my final question before I put my mask back on. Are you ready to take action? Are you ready to participate in the real Great Commission? As I said earlier, many of you here are already sponsors, so you are doing that. Some of you can do it more. Some of you have the resources. You can be a missionary to more than one child, so think about that. Others have not yet entered into a relationship with a child in Compassion's ministry with this strategy that I mapped out. What about starting today? What about taking a child with you? Some of the children's packets are on the seats. Come and talk to Bosco or me in the foyer after. See how to get this going. You can, it's so easy. You can do it online. You can do it in person. What I want to do today... Uh, is when you do sponsor a child today, I want to give you my book as a gift. And uh, we have also some other books here, compassion books. These are more um, studies, like for youth groups and families. So uh, depending, if you, if you want theology, take this book. If you want studies, things you can do, take this book. But I, I just want to, I want to thank you by giving you a copy of this book. This book isn't free. It it didn't come to us free. But I'd like to give it to you to help you take a deeper journey into not what compassion says about the poor or not what Barry says about the poor, but what the Bible says about the poor. Because ultimately, that's what matters. I want you to watch this little video and then... uh, I'm going to go back down there and slip this mask back on and meet you out in the foyer. Thank you. God bless you. Here's you. If you're like most people, you look at the world and in some ways feel like it needs to change. But the world's a big place, and this is you. You also know that God is still working. So, how can you be a part of His work in the world? Where do you start? 
Sometimes changing the world starts with making one small choice. Here's Pedro. His dad is in the local gang, and one day Pedro fears that he'll have to join too. On a daily basis, Pedro faces abuse, violence in his neighborhood, uncertainty about his next meal, and sickness all around him. It feels hopeless. The good news is that a church in Pedro's village partners with compassion. Because of Pedro's situation, the church reached out to his mom to invite him to be a part of the compassion program. When she saw the difference it was making for other children in their community, she agreed. Let's say you say yes to being a part of what God is doing in the world and make a choice to sponsor Pedro. Consider the cascade of effects that can occur from that choice. Through the local church, Pedro receives meals, tutoring and help with school, health care, and an introduction to Jesus. He's surrounded by safe, loving adults in his community who know him and are praying for him and his family. And through your letters, he'll know that you're praying too. Every year, thousands of children choose to follow Jesus through the love they encounter at the Compassion Center. Pedro becomes a Christian too. Pedro's brother has seen a change in Pedro's life. He wants this change too. So he starts coming with Pedro to the church. Then their mother starts coming and her sisters. Pedro's father has been watching. At first, he was skeptical, angry even. But God is changing his family. There's less fear now, more peace, more hope. He starts walking with them to the Compassion Center. Then he starts coming to church. Finally, he makes the difficult decision to leave the gang and follow Jesus. So now, spurred on by Jesus' love, this family and their church are changing their community. And that community is beginning to change their country. And as children, just like Pedro, go on to become doctors, lawyers, pastors, and leaders in their communities and nations, the worldwide impact keeps growing. See, small choices can change the world. Here's you. Will you say yes to being part of what God is doing in the world? Sponsor a child with compassion. Empower a church to love children and see a life changed. It might just change the world.